0: Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. welcome everyone today we're going to be talking about the Spokane serial killer and this is an unusual story for a lot of reasons before we get started if you want to support our podcast make sure to share and subscribe we truly would appreciate it so the Spokane serial killer Robert Lee Yates he was suspected of killing at least 14 to 16 women he killed uh, prostitutes. All of them were prostitutes except for two that started off as killing spree. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So what happened with Robert Lee Yates, we'll look at some of the, uh, he committed the murders between 1975 and 1998, but he had a huge span in uh, 1975, he killed a couple that were having a picnic, shot them both in the head, which was his typical M.O., later became, I guess, one of his signatures, his real signature was covering the head of the prostitutes with a with a plastic bag, but that's later on in the story. Uh, but he killed anywhere again. He was convicted, I think, of uh, he had 18-plus victims. My apologies. He was convicted of killing two more women in 2002. But let's take a look back. We're going to start off... Uh, First, with his uh, murders he committed in 1975-1988 in Spokane, all involved sex workers who worked along Spokane's East Sprague Avenue, well actually two weren't, two were the ones he killed in the picnic that he said later on. The victims were initially solicited for sex, the prostitutes worked by Yates who would have sex with them, usually in his Ford van, which we're going to hear a little clip from his daughters talking about how they found blood at one time in his van. Sometimes they do drugs with him, they kill him and dump their bodies in rural locations. All of his victims died of gunshot wounds to the head. Eight of the murders were committed with a 25 caliber handgun, and one attempted murder was linked to the same model of a handgun. Now, the interesting thing here is we saw, again, we know it's a depersonalized murder because it's a killing. So we're looking here, is it disorganized or organized? And we see there's a little bit of a mix already. We'll we'll find out the mix in a minute. But you can see it's a depersonalization. The headshot, he had a plan, it's premeditated. So now we're looking at organized killer to start off. Let's see where this leads us. Now, he would dump their bodies in rural locations. So he drove them away from the areas that he killed. This, again, is another sign of an organized killer. Now, autopsies of two of the victims indicated that the killer was a marksman aiming for the heart. One particular bizarre detail of Yates' murder involved the case of Melody Murphan, whose body was buried just outside the bedroom window of Yates' family home while his his wife was sleeping in the room. There's something particular about Melody Murphy. I don't know exactly what that could be, whatever it was, his fantasies. But remember, their fantasies is what drives these serial killers. And that's why it's so important to understand them. Now, what kind of a diagnosis does he have? We're going to look at that in a little bit when we look at his, bio, his history. In, 1980, in 1998, the age was about 46 at this time, picked up sex worker Christine Smith, who managed to escape after being shot, assaulted, and robbed. On September 19, 1980, 1998, um, police linked him with a DNA sample. And so he killed a lot of women, all, fit, all were white, um all were prostitutes again except for the first two which is actually odd because the first two he killed when he was 23 years of age so then he kills again years later he gets into this kind of killing spree at around 46. now he did have a divorce his father said he didn't talk very much about him to private about his private life let's look at his biological upbringing robert lee yates did have a history of violence in his family indeed back in oak harbor where he grew up Uh, It's his father who goes by the name Robert. In that town, they know our killer simply as Bobby. The family casts a long shadow over the life they're about to explore. As far back as 1945, murder was a familiar subject for the family, believe it or not. Now remember, Yates was born in around 1952. In 1945, Bobby Yates' grandmother took up a large, double-sided axe and cut down her husband. The attack took place with Robert, Bobby's father. This is the Yates' senior in the house. He could remember hearing the attack from his bed and went downstairs to investigate. There he found his father dying on the floor in the kitchen. His mother was sitting comfortably in a chair. It was a surreal scene, they said. So you see, his mom had something there psychologically, especially at that age, to kill her husband. I mean, it's grandfather, so who knows how old they were. So something happened. It could have been abuse from the father. It said the woman had been through a great deal. She had 11 children, and her husband was often away from home working a job. It meant meant she, that she was, he was really on the scene to play the pivotal role of the father figure. Who knows what went on between them, but eventually it simply became too much. The woman snapped on an otherwise insignificant night. For the next seven years, she would be locked away to mental health institutions trying to recover. So we can see here this could be reflective of what happened to Robert Lee Yates. He could have also had a mental snap, a psychosis, a psychotic event. Because remember, it looks like he was trying to purify. Because he was very religious. His family was very religious, and he was killing these prostitutes. So we can see a lot of shame and guilt building up here. So he had the sex with the women, and then eventually he would kill them afterwards. So he would. You he, he can view himself as saying, "Look, I committed this sin. I can't contain myself, but now I have to purify myself. So I'm going to clean." that sinful object which was the prostitute And this is actually similar to what the uh, isis terrorists and al-qaeda terrorists do when i wrote my book um, one of the things i found there was a lot of them would watch pornography or they would have sex with who they called infidels people who didn't follow their version of islam which is a corrupt one uh, isis had a corrupt version of islam and what they would say is that these women were not holy or clean so they could have sex with them and it wouldn't be counted as adultery or premarital sex so people can rationalize all the time it's hard to imagine that this wouldn't have some kind of a, an effect on Robert Yates Sr., of course, and then later it would pass on somehow to the children, which it usually does, and if it's a psychological, organic psychological issue, this could definitely be passed by or passed down. Most remember Yates as a quiet kid. He wasn't the troublemaking type. He seemed well-behaved, well-mannered. Um, Yates was raised in a good, safe community and a religious family. He had a chance to shoot, fish. He hiked a lot with his father. His father was also very religious, very involved in the Seventh-day Adventist church. It wasn't a very big congregation. They had a close bond together, the father and the son. Even at, um, at his trial, he saw crying when he gave his testimony about how much he loved uh, Robert Jr. And even Robert Jr. cried when he saw his dad give the testimony now we do find uh some of uh, some information that's alleged is alleged as bobby was six years old the neighbor five years older than bobby was said to have sexually molested him like many victims of sexual abuse bobby told no one everything else however he shared with his father they meant the two were incredibly close while they were growing up but this again could be a sign we don't know if it was just a one-time event with that neighbor could have been multiple times with that event with that neighbor we don't know what happened with the neighbor and this happens sometimes you get Individuals like that, they get molested. So this could have been a start of something. But you also got to remember, we're getting information from people about um, their father. But we don't really know how accurate that is because the daughters, got to remember, Robert Yates Jr. had five daughters. This would make them very unique. And on top of those five daughters, he had a wife. He was married two times, but one for a long time, which is uncharacteristic of a psychopath. Um, uncharacteristic doesn't mean it can't happen had 19 years in the military which is again uncharacteristic of a psychopath but what i'm saying is you really don't know who you sometimes people you really don't know so we don't really know what robert yates jr's father was really like i want to take you also to the career in the military because this kind of alludes it gives me signs that he could have been a psychopath among those who knew him in the military bobby was something of a complicated character He was very skilled, he won a lot of awards. He actually was a pilot during Operation Desert Storm. But there was one part when uh, he was sent to Somalia, uh, revealed the darker side of him. He was stationed in the African country, eating nothing but army rations for a month. Bobby decided that he and his friends should have a barbecue. When flying in the helicopter, he took it upon himself to shoot a wild pig. It broke dozens of military regulations and very nearly resulted in Bobby being court-martialed. Even though no one got hurt, people were furious. After the anger died down, people turned that incident into something of a joke. But it could show Bobby's um, lax regard for rules, especially when it came to killing. Remember, he killed, this was way before, this is in 1995, he already killed a couple. And then he took this huge hiatus from killing, at least we think. We don't know if he ever caught anybody ever caught anybody else or any other suspects. I mean... um, if he had killed anybody else we don't know uh, at least he hasn't admitted to anybody else between the 73 killing of the couple in the 1995 killing um yates time in the military was a great success while his wife spent her time raising the kids bobby was yates was racking up almost two decades worth of valued service it seemed however that he was happy to keep the military and the domestic aspects of his life separate uh, his wife remembered when she would be invited to gatherings, could see the strangeness and the overlap between the two worlds. When she talked to Bobby's colleagues, they occasionally seemed unaware that Bobby even had a wife. Now, this could be another psychopathic trait, really trying to disassociate themselves from different areas of their life, give them compartmentalized. compartmentalized. Um, when Bobby transferred to Alabama in 1995, this became more acutely felt. Bobby was no longer touring the dangerous parts of the globe and providing air support. So we really don't know what Bobby was up to out there sometimes. It doesn't seem like he was up to no good. I don't think so. so. But this could have satisfied some need he had inside of him. His expertise now meant that he was educating the next generation of helicopter pilots. He was stationed in Fort Rucker. He had to go through a period of training himself. One of the, he soon became one of the, one of the country's best instructors. Linda and Bobby would sometimes go to parties being held on the base, and it was here where Linda was able to see the other side of Bobby, the one in which his military friends knew. When he was having a few drinks, she would watch as her husband mooned and flirted with other women. He gave his name as James Bond, lying to anyone he met. It came as quite a shock to Linda. Now, this could be a sign of a psychopath. So he's living a double life. Uh, he's living a life that maybe his father and mother wanted him to live, which was the good life, the Christian life with a family and kids, and then having this alter ego. It came as quite a shock to her, of course, but with the military pay still being essential, she tolerated his behavior. Things came to an abrupt halt though, only 18 months after from being eligible for the full military pension and a completed career, Bobby shocked everyone by handing in a request to leave. There was no explanation, no details given as to why he might want out of the armed forces after spending so long. It confused some people and annoyed others, Taking a bonus for putting in for early resignation, though only a fraction of the benefits package due to those who completed those careers, Bobby Yates packed up the family and moved from Alabama to Spokane. It might not have been that crazy of a move, though. The military was replacing the helicopters Bobby knew so well, effectively making his role redundant. And with politicians reducing the numbers in the Armed Forces, there were benefits available to those who were voluntarily left. So Bobby, this meant keeping a portion of his annual wage, roughly about $20,000, in the 1990s and that he was free to do as he pleased having spent 21 years in the military some speculated bobby was simply bored but there might have been an even more pressing issue encouraging bobby Yates to drop and move away in 1995 on the 9th of august the authorities discovered the body of terry on corbett who was a prostitute a man who would often dress in women's clothing he was found wearing a woman's outfit dumped on the side of a road near fort rucker the killer had used a 45 caliber handgun to shoot corbett twice in the face As soon as the local police came across the body and realized it was a homicide, their attention naturally turned towards a massive military base. Bobby Yates was definitely in the area at the time, and as their authorities later noted, he certainly knew the place well. Even though he traveled all across the country attending and teaching flight schools, Bobby was in Fort Rucker on the 18th of August in 1995. Having graduated from a course, he had had just attended. But the authorities never accused Bobby Yates of the murder. After Yates left the area and the state as well, the local police jurisdiction was whittled down to almost nothing. Detectives who worked on the case however, have described their belief that having carried out the murder of the prostitute, Yates panicked and fled the scene. So the theory goes Bobby Yates was all too happy to resign from the military if it meant that he could escape the possible close scrutiny of the police. Instead, Bobby and his family moved to Washington. It would be in Spokane that Yates would carry out the crimes that led to his eventual sentence of 407 years. Now, you got to remember now, we don't know if that was his third or fourth killing or how many killings he had already uh, when this prostitute was discovered. We don't know what Yates was up to. We don't know if it was exposing his wife to his alter ego that made him crack. If you want to use that word, it caused a psychotic break. Uh, Maybe he was always like this, and we just don't know. I mean, he did kill in 1975, so he could have been like this for most of his life. We just don't know who else he killed. The deaths of Melinda Mercer and Connie LaFontaine in Tacoma led to an accusation, but not a conviction. In both cases, a body was dumped in a remote spot, and both murders occurred when Yates happened to be in the area. But as was the case in Alabama, Yates seemed to slip unnoticed. At the time, it was only later that people made the connections. Yates had made his departure from the military and moved to Spokane. The family came too. Spokane was a small city with just under 200,000 people. It was enough to allow for a community feeling without the necessity of knowing every single person you met. As big as Washington state is, the city was around 150 miles from Bobby Yates' hometown of Walla Walla. Moving back to the area, Linda had hoped might rekindle the love in the marriage, but it was not to be. She could tell Bobby no longer loved her, and. Like he once did had done, and uh, she felt the same way, actually. but there was a reason to stay together. It was the kids. They loved their father, and Linda did not want to be the one who broke up the family. She persevered with the relationship suffering in silence as she lived out the reality of a loveless marriage. Bobby had hoped he might be able to put his piloting skills to good use. He still had a reduced wage coming in. He needed a job, and the natural inclination was to take on something that involved helicopters. Only there weren't many calls for a chopper pilot in civilian life. Instead Bobby took a position working in a factory that assembled the electronic instruments using heavy machinery. But he ran into a problem when that business slowed down and he needed to find another position. He went to work with a nearby aluminum processing plant. By this time he was slightly older and for his younger co-workers he became something of a fire figure, present, dependable, and approachable. Believing the military was a hard thing for Bobby, or Yates. He applied, he applied later for a position in the Washington National Guard. It might not be the Army, but it was as close as he could get at least. Now, in 1997 to 1998, during that time, people began to die. This was the time when Bobby Yates' true nature rose to the surface. He was locked in this loveless marriage. Forbidden from flying his helicopters, which could have been an outlet, having abandoned his military pension, Yates Yates took on a new hobby. At least the prosecutor wanted to make that case. While there would be rumors and suspicions that became apparent later on, it was during this period that Yates truly unleashed his fury on the population of Spokane. And that's actually not even a fair statement. He actually unleashed his fury onto these prostitutes. But Bobby was clever, at least he thought he was. He chose to target those people who believed society would not miss, which is what a lot of serial killers do, as we remember from listening to all these podcasts. The majority of his targets would be prostitutes, women who existed on the fringes of society, who would be harder to notice if they went missing, which a lot of them do that. Um, The people in Spokane seemed to pay little attention to these murders. Unlike the deaths of Patrick Oliver and Susan Savage, which were the two people that were having the picnic, there was no community outrage here, no massive reward offered. In fact, many of the deaths went without comment. So, this is where we don't know exactly what happened. So, what he would do is he would hang out in these truck stops and diners, often with crowds of the prostitutes, moving under an assumed name, which he's done before. He would educate himself about their habits, meaning he was fully prepared to murder. Again, we're going to the organized killer, he's premeditating, he knows what he's doing, he's targeting his victims. Um, during this time, he would use drugs, often with the women who would end up as his victims. Some would describe him as emotionless and calculating, again, leading towards psychopathy here. To his family at home, the very idea that Bobby Yates might be killing prostitutes was bizarre. When he was eventually arrested, everyone from family members to prostitutes had known Bobby was shocked. I want you to listen to this clip from his two daughters, um, who uh, this the one of the days when they found blood in the truck that their father brought home. and this is uh, one of his daughters. There are two of them together with a reporter. As the body count mounts, Yates finds it more difficult to hide his killing spree from his family. Remember when he came home that night and he said he hit a dog and there was blood in the yeah, I remember back of asking the van. him about it. I was like, what happened there? Oh, I instantly ran into a dog. That's Michelle Yates saying that uh, when they found the blood in the van, they, that uh, Robert Yates said it was blood from a dog. And uh, I had to set it on the back of, you know, there was a fold-out bed, and had to set it there and take it to the bed. I mean, you saw the blood. I saw the blood, the stain. It
1: was Excuse on the me. back
0: of the van, in the back seat of the van. I'm sorry, but I'm feeling like kind of woozy. Can I sit down? Oh, yeah. Sorry. This is the younger one, Michelle Yates, seemed to get a little bit uh, sick to her stomach. That's a horrific memory that you had. I just turned around in the middle, one of the middle chairs that were in the van, and I was like, what's that spot from? And that's what his excuse was, was about the dog getting hurt, and it was really bloody, that's what he told me. And he said, I just couldn't get all the blood out. I tried, and it still stains, and it's good. And I I remember the smell, too. I remember the nasty... There was a smell. Did that stain stay there after that day? It didn't go away. It was just from on that. To know I was right there where he had laid a body. was just... uh, Disturbing. So that was a little bit of of the daughter talking about it. But again, you can see how he's fooled a lot of people this is this could be typical of a psychopath the unusualness is his staying with the family for so long but that could be explained by his behavior going to the military not being at home very much Um, so this could explain that Uh, they're very charming so you know being able to stay away at the military do his thing there and come back and just have to engage for a small period of time could have been perfect for him uh, if you look at the first victim, it was the date of August 26, at least one of the first prostitutes that he killed. Since it was a warm day in Washington, many people decided to take advantage of the state scenery. Um, this was in 1997. This is before the prostitutes. I'm sorry. This is before the prostitutes. Got my notes mixed up. This was a man by the name of Valerie Jones, a former army man who served in Vietnam. He often searched for empty soda cans while he walked, hoping to turn them over to the recycling plant. As it happened, the corpse was—he found the body half hidden beneath a tree. The corpse was placed in the long grass near two, to a couple of metal tins. It was a half-naked woman. She had been there a while the skin showing signs of being exposed to the weather. When the detective surveyed the area, they found a gallon of blood splattered across a nearby parking lot. The body had been dragged. Now this again is a sign of an organized killer because he took the body away from the area where he killed them to try to hide it. So we know that he, was, he showed signs of an organized killer, and then he showed signs of a disorganized killer as the time went on. As he started killing more women, he started devolving in a sense, because what happened is he started leaving them closer and closer to the kill site, and this shows signs of a disorganized killer. Now, the organized killer aspects, obviously, when he initially tried to hide them, even, even though he gets closer to the site originally later on, he's still trying to hide them. Uh, And then he is also shooting them in the head, but he doesn't take too much caution because he also leaves them in well-traveled areas. So he's got more of a sign of a mixed between a uh, hybrid between an organized and a disorganized killer. And if we look a little bit more specifically, one of the victims, The detectives attempted to piece together what information they could. The clothes were still on the victim and included a blouse with long sleeves, which could just as easily have been addressed. This is one of the victims. It had been unzipped, pulled up past the shoulders, and over the victim's black bra. That, too, had been tugged at, pulled up almost over the head and neck, leaving the body essentially naked from the chest downwards. It was summer, so the light was lasting. Um, Despite only discovering the body in the early evening, the body detectives could begin to piece together some of the events that had led to the woman's being dumped. They could see that the grass had been marked and the brush bent and moved, so they were doing tracking skills here. This seemed to indicate something heavy had been dragged through, creating a path from the road to the dumping site. Looking closely at the clothing, it seemed to offer confirmation that the body had been dragged. Uh, Also showing that the killer had grabbed the victim by the ankles and tugged her along. At some point along the way, he switched position and started dragging the body head first. You can tell this by uh, after the the examiner looks at the body where the blood coagulates and doesn't coagulate. The police began to photograph the entire area. Um, they would have to they eventually suspend the uh, the process of looking at the crime scene because of darkness and they came back the next day. So we have a sexual motive here, and he had sex with them after the fact. So now we're going back to the disorganized killer because he had post-mortem sex with these individuals. He did not, he also wore a condom, which was interesting. And this they found next to, next to this were, he found the condom near the road. Next to this was a pair of high-heeled shoes, blackened the victim's size and some underwear, as well as the broken antenna from a car radio. So you can tell here, again, he's not completely organized because he's leaving pieces of evidence everywhere. They also found a towel covered in blood. um so this is one of the things one of his signatures was obviously the uh, plastic bag over the head of the victims when he shot him so we can tell by the murder victims what he was doing so he obviously had his signature which was the body bag i mean the uh, not the body bag the plastic bag over the head we don't know if he had souvenirs or trophies, but we say he's a mixture, he's a hybrid between that organized and disorganized killer. I'm gonna to lean towards psychopathy, because you remember, psychopathy is on a scale, so it's not a yes or no, it's what level of psychopathy does the person have? Now, he could have become worse on that scale over years, and the trigger could have been when he left the military, that's what it seems like, and they he had to face the reality of his family, the reality of not being able to do what he wanted to do in the military. These could all have been things that are happening. He could have killed while in the military and nobody knew. He could have gone out patrolling, could have done things and shot, killed people in some of these parts of the world, these third world countries that their investigation teams are poor. Maybe it's hard to miss individuals. Who knows what was going on out there? We don't know. He never admitted to any of that. We didn't see that, but um, I wouldn't be surprised, but he was gone for 20 years and that could explain the, uh, The lag between 1973-74 when he killed that couple who were picnicking and then he ended up going to the military for 20 years and then coming out again and starting killing pretty recently. He actually killed, he had that one prostitute that he killed just while he was in the military that last year that he could have killed during his 20 years uh that maybe that last one was the one that triggered him again to start killing when he knew or maybe when he found out that he was not going to be doing what he was supposed to be doing he ended up killing the prostitute and that's what triggered him and then from there he went on his uh, serial killer spree i don't know the reason i chose this one is because it is a complicated one uh, we do see some instances of things that we've seen from other serial killers in regards to development issues right we saw the uh uh the child molestation uh, a little bit of genetics in the sense of that his grandmother killed her husband which was his grandfather in front of his dad but we don't see much of anything else really but again we never know what's really going on in the minds of these killers but this was definitely one of the more complicated ones to analyze because of the uh lack of information, and also because of the lack of any clear signs that we normally see, right? Child abuse, we've seen that countless times, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, all of of them. Combined, we've seen single-parent homes, abusive, authoritarian parents. Um, We've seen conduct disorder, which means they were committing criminal activities or antisocial behavior when they were teenagers or adolescents. We don't see any of that here. So very unusual, very unusual case, Robert Lee Yates. Hopefully Monday we'll get more answers to it, but for now, that's it folks. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky.